I'm Simone Paget, and welcome to We're Never Doing This Again, a podcast about sex, dating, and all of those weird and wonderful messy experiences that we have no desire to repeat. I'm so excited for today's guest. I have Amber Adrian. She is an intuitive healer, a writer, a moon witch, and one of my favorite people on the internet. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you so much. And I also want to say that you too are one of my favorite people on the internet, along with Joe. <laughs> yes. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have a very muscly G.I. Joe doll that is like my <laughs> uh intern or desk mate. He like watches over me while I work and like posts on Instagram. He has his own Instagram. So yeah. And and Joe and my stuffed therapy otter, Sally, have quite the little love affair going. Yeah, we have like an ongoing exchange between like my so-called like inanimate object, although like I will tell you something after about that, and your inanimate object have like a full-on love affair and they exchange notes and send each other presents and it's really cute. Yeah, Sally's, Sally's a little clingy, actually. I've had to have a lot of discussions with her about that. <laughs> I actually saw, I can't remember if I told you this, but I saw an energy healer that specializes in healing pet energy remotely. Totally. Yeah. My cat has been having some some issues where she's like licking off her fur Ooh. in certain areas and the healer like tapped into her, what's going on with her. And she's like, I, I'm sensing that she has, there's like a male presence in her life that that intimidates her she feels like threatened she feels like and she's like do you have like a doll and I'm like yeah I do and yeah so she I guess like when humans really love objects you can actually like instill spirit into them so yes I am waiting for Sally to go full-on velveteen rabbit on me yes it's it's gonna happen and she thought it was like a creepy doll and I was like oh I sent her pictures and She's like, no, he's not creepy. It's it's actually quite lovely what you do with photographs and stuff. And she had to like heal Joe and then heal my cat. So <laughs> I have I have some related stories, but I also want to say like I had to get my website healed by a healer because there was a lot going on with it apparently. And like after she did, like she's accustomed to doing like house clearings and things like that. And also, you know, pet clearings and my other story. I'm gonna start going on off on rants and tangents here, but I never, I don't really do this like publicly, but I'll work with friends' pets, you know, like if someone has a dog who passes away or, you know, someone's having trouble with, you know, with a pet, I'll kind of like talk to the pet and see like, hey, what's going on there? And so I love how many other people, you know, how much this is starting to come forward because like our animals, like they're such, Mm -hmm. they're such presences and they're, they're so important in our lives. And like, it's just so frustrating to everyone everywhere that we can't just talk to them. (laughs) I know. And I was at my wits end. So she did a healing on her and it did work. It's sort of, I think I need to go back I feel like it's sort of tapered off, but one of the things that she suggested, she's like, she made me take down my giant poster of Joe. Which <laughs> I can hear how sad that makes you. I love it. <laughs> like you just have to tone down the energy just a little bit. Like you just have to dial it down a notch. I'm like, and she's like, don't worry, I've talked to him. He's okay. <laughs> He's okay with it. 
Oh my God, this is my favorite thing ever. I once had someone tell me I had to get, I had to take Sally out of my house. So Sally for me was, God, how do I even explain this? I I had a miscarriage like many, many years ago and I got Sally soon after and she was supposed to be a gift for my um, boyfriend at the time's niece. And like, so we got her at yeah. the Monterey Bay Aquarium and, you know, I was bringing her, you know, we were bringing her home. She was like in the bag and I was like, oh, she doesn't want to be in that plastic bag. So I like pulled her out and then, <laughs> you know, she started like waving to people in the other cars and dancing on the dashboard. And I was like, oh yeah, his niece is never getting this otter. So like I claimed Sally and mm-hmm. then, you know, like kind of through the process of like the miscarriage and the grief and like just everything that happened then and after, like she really was like a comfort to me. And like, I mean, I was doing some weird shit for a while. Like I was kind of like cradling her and carrying her around with me and she traveled with me and like, like I would have been devastated if anything had happened to her. Um like even just a few years ago, I was like, oh, maybe I should wash her. Should I put her in the washing machine? And my partner now was like, don't you dare. You would be so, so upset if anything happened to her. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. No, she's never getting cleaned. (laughs) She's just going to be this forever. (laughs) But like I had, like there was so much energy. Like I, she had gotten me through so much grief that it's almost like that grief kind of got stored in her. And so, you know, somebody came into my house and I was like, I have never experienced so much like grief in one inanimate object before you've got to get this out of your house. And so I did for a while, like I put her in storage for a little while, but it helped because it kind of like helped everything clear out. And, um, but that's, it's a really fascinating thing to me. Yeah. Like I got Joe right after like my first sort of like real, big adult breakup where Mm. it involved like moving out of the person's house and like separating belongings and like having sort of like a lot of grief around that and joe arrived like my sister was at a party and there was like a guy who was like really high on acid and he's like had this like naked gi joe doll and he's like here take this (laughs) she's like uh okay and her friend who like I used to babysit when I was like a teenager. He's now like an adult with like children, which is wild. Oh, that's horrifying to me. Like when the kids you babysit get married, I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, I feel like Simone could do something with this. You should take it home. So she took it home with her and she was visiting at the time. And I was staying at my mom's and I woke up in the morning and there was like just this like hat, like naked G.I. Joe doll with one foot up on like my moisturizer tub, like my body butter just like posed and (laughs) like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do something with this now. So he kind of became like my, my Vanna white slash sidekick. And we've kind of like grown through, we both were making like big fresh starts him as a transitioning from being a naked war hero to (laughs) the executive of awesomeness. Yeah, to like working in media for no money. <laughs> right. A common trope. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Sally used to write love letters to people on Instagram. Okay. That was her thing. Yeah. Yeah. She also did not get paid for that. She started insisting on sardines. I was like, people, 
Instagram can't send you sardines, Sally. And she just didn't understand that. So she, she gave up in a huff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joe gets paid in exposure and shorts. Mm. <laughs> well, shorts are important. Yeah. He, he started off naked. Now he has clothing. This is, I mean, it's quite the journey. I'm, I'm really feeling this for Joe. <laughs> I built out like a full backstory for him and how he was like a discarded toy. Uh, he was like living for a while in like a lost and found box of a Burger King and with a bunch of grease stained My Little Ponies until he was like liberated and then like found. And yeah, now he's turning his life around. Good for him. He has bed sheets that aren't made of cheese slices. Oh, see, that almost sounds like a step back. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want bed sheets made of cheese? Actually, no, that would be disgusting. But like maybe just some cheese next to the bed. So some nice soft cheese, some nice soft sheets, the cheese on the side. I feel like that's kind of the recipe for happiness, provided you're not lactose intolerant. Yes, I think so too. And sadly, since I've been having to heal so many things over the past few years i can't have cheese anymore and so i'm making myself sad thinking of sheets made of cheese oh no yeah it's so sad can you do like vegan cheese probably but i'm not really supposed to do processed foods like it's a whole it's a whole thing it's a whole thing so like basically what i can eat are vegetables and meat which I suddenly don't want anymore because I got bitten by a spider over the holidays and it made me so nauseous that I couldn't eat half of what I had been used to eating anymore, which is like oh. 157th of what I was accustomed to eating. Yeah. So I just like turned into a full on hunter gatherer eating berries from the Whole Foods and that's all I could do. <laughs> But let me just tell you, getting bitten by a spider is the worst, but also the most effective diet ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I was queasy for like a month. It was terrible. I had mono, which I think I remember from like, I think it was like the Romeo and Michelle movie. And they're like their high school reunion, like, I think. High school reunion. Yeah. yeah. And they we're talking about like how mono is the best diet ever. Um it's actually awful, but it's so terrible. <laughs> I still like, even now I can't stand the smell of meat, like cooking in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And like my partner has to have meat. Like he, like, he's like a full on grizzly bear. He needs his meat. Um, and so it's just gotten like super, super tricky because he'll start cooking a steak and I'll be running around opening all the windows or like standing outside in the cold. And he's like, sorry. I'm like, I know you have to eat. This is really weird. As like an intuitive, like, do you, have you ever sort of thought about like, cause this is something that I've started thinking about with like meat and like what you're actually, that you're eating like another animal's like fear and like anguish. I I mean, I love that you're bringing this up because I find this so fascinating. And um, my partner and I have actually talked about this a lot um, because, yeah, I think I think that's a, there's there's an energy of it, especially depending on, you know, like how it was farmed and or like, you know, how the animal lived and then 
how it died. Like that energy is like imbued in, and it's, it's the only word I can think of is flesh. Um, and so, yeah, we're consuming that when we eat it. And this isn't to say that I did not have a burger this weekend, but I do think about this a lot. And, um, you know, I feel like at some point I probably am going to be like fully, fully vegetarian. Um, and not even just because of a weird spider bite, but I think this is, this is a thing like what we consume has such a profound effect on our bodies. And I feel like this is something I've like really, it's been really driven home to me over the past couple of years as I've been healing things. And as I've been like really noticing the effect of things like alcohol or caffeine or, you know, or meat, um, and so, yeah, I think that is really something to, to consider, you know, at least with like finding meat that's been, you know, grown in a way that is relatively kind and yeah, because yeah, we're so, so, so impacted by the energy of things, you know, I've even wondered about like, you know, like coffee beans that are often grown in areas of the world that are in, you know, turmoil or, you know, just have a lot going on. Um, and, you know, okay, what of that is being, you know, is coming in with the coffee beans? I'm not at the point where I'm ready to quit meat, but I've been thinking about it. Yeah. So, yeah. I was thinking like about what we could talk about today. And I wanted to like, let you know that like, since we're talking about like healing, one of the first healings I did with you was one of your, your series of money healings. And that, oh yeah, that like completely shifted things for me, and like led me to other kinds of money healings. And I realized, like, one of the things I learned is I have like a kind of like a scarcity mindset when it comes to money, mm-hmm. and yeah. the idea of like you're so kind of afraid of money and losing money that it's like you hold on to it so tightly. And you gave me this like image of like the hose, the garden hose with the water flowing through. And when you kink a hose, it stops the flow. And I had like a, this is going to sound like unintentionally sexual since I'm a sex artist, like a kinked hose. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been like unwinding the hose, letting it flow more. Mm. And what I realized like through doing all this, like healing around money and like, my feelings about money and money is just like an energy. I realize I also have like a scarcity when it comes to love mm. and relationships. I had this like yeah. light bulb go off in the summer and I was like, I think I have a scarcity mindset when it comes to love. So I don't know if you relate to that, but that's something now I'm kind of unpacking and like, basically like how that manifests in my life is like I realized like about a year ago I had like a crush on someone and it was like so intense and I was like gripping it so tightly and I was like I I'm one of these people who like I either like no one or I like a person I'm like you're my person I've chosen you (laughs) like that's like I'm not like it it's very certain and I think it's like kind of it's very like I realized I was like I'm on a a self-created emotional roller coaster and I need to figure out how to 
tone it down a bit. Like Joe, I need to take it down a notch. <laughs> take the poster off the wall. Keep the keep the keep the Joe, but take the poster down. Yeah. So I was just wondering if like you've seen that in your experience with people or Oh yeah. No, I mean I relate to that personally and of course like I see it a lot professionally. Um because it's so easy to want to grip things and to want to have control, you know, and I think all of us are healing, you know, a lot of trauma and a lot of um, scarcity that is, it's like threaded through our society. Our parents dealt with it, you know, like my parents were raised by parents who grew up in the depression. And so there's this scarcity mindset that's really embedded. And I feel like we're the generation that is clearing that, which is incredible work to do. It's also really fucking hard. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be hard. Like, I don't ever want to put that, like, put that on anybody. I've just in my own life, it's, you know, it's just, it's an evolution. Like, I feel like it takes effort. It does. It does actually take work. Actually, one of my clients once said, you know, um, it takes a lot of work to be this happy. Like when people say, how are you so happy? She's like, it takes a lot of work. And it does, you know, because we have to go in and unkink the hose and unwind those beliefs. Um, You know, I know I like I, I resonate with what you say so much because I do the exact same thing. Like, in fact, I'm actually going through my own money healings now because um, it, so I love that you brought those up because I actually just listened to one right before we got onto the podcast because um, when I, when I created those, um, I know that the, the creation of the money healings was for me too, but I'd never really listened to them. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm really like done with the scarcity, especially around money. Like I'm just done. I am over it. So like I went in and was like looking for guidance and like, okay, like who can I work with? What do I need to do? And the guidance was listen to your own goddamn money healings. Like you created them for other people, but they're for you as well. And so, you know, so it was like very strong, like listen to all of them, every single one, and then you can come back and we'll talk again. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I love that you brought that up. Um, But then with the, yeah, with the scarcity, because, you know, if we have scarcity in one area, we often have scarcity in another, which is, you know, beautiful in one way, because if we heal the scarcity with money, say we can heal, you know, the, everything heals at once. So, the love scarcity will heal as well. Or when you heal that with love, it also heals with money. Like it doesn't, we don't just heal one place. The healing just ripples throughout our lives and then out into the lives of those around us as well. But I think one of the things that I really want to say about that too is um, I, I've, experienced a lot of scarcity with love. Um, and I thought when I got into a relationship that would disappear mm. and it did not. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cause I was still like, I was, I was gripping it tightly. Yeah. Um, I was really wanting it. To, I was wanting to control it. I was wanting it to unfold in a certain way. You know, I was wanting a certain, you know, certain things to happen. Yeah. And the more I kind of held that, what my idea of how our relationship needed to unfold, the more tightly I held that, the like more he kind of pulled away, you know, because guys can sometimes be like, you know, scared cats under the bed. You know, you kind of just have to 
take care of yourself and, you know, create a lot of happiness in your own life independent of them. And then they kind of come out and are like, Hey, Hey, what, what are you doing over here? This looks <laughs> like fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been needing to heal a lot of that scarcity around love, like within the relationship, um, yeah. which I found deeply annoying. So I was like, I, I thought I was done with this. I thought, I thought I had it. Nope. I'm sure there's a <laughs> lot of people out there who maybe like, don't have the privilege of tapping into healings about this kind of thing that are probably going through that right now and don't even realize that they have that like clinging too tightly because I know like for me, I'm kind of uh, in one of the last episodes, like I talked with someone about like attachment styles and I'm mm-hmm. definitely more a little bit more on the anxious side. Cause I'm just like, I just have anxiety. Like I just kind of came out that way um, in life. And yeah. I want to have like envision a relationship like floating and suspended in like good feelings without me Mm. grasping onto it. Like I love that letting it be. And yeah. So working on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it feels like a constant practice to me. Um, Like we have to practice that those good feelings and that kind of floating feeling every day to like to try to create those new those new neural pathways and to create that muscle memory so that when we do get triggered with something you know we have that that base that baseline of okay i know what it feels like to feel good i know what it feels like to feel you know warm and loved yeah in some way, whether it's because you can love yourself in that way, which they're always talking about and always feels very hard, or like you love a pet that way, or you love a GI Joe doll that way, or possibly a stuffed therapy otter that way. Like we can learn how to love in lots of different ways and then apply it. Like one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is that money is a renewable resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also like love is a renewable resource. So it like regenerates. It does. Yeah. And one of the like one of the concepts that my human struggles to understand, but like my soul really like fully grasps. And I feel like this is always the this is always the challenge to help our human understand the things our soul innately knows. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that like we are love, like love is to quote love actually, love really is all around. It's like this. <laughs> It's this well of like, sometimes I think of it as like this well of infinite light that I can just go to whenever I, whenever I need to, whenever I want to. And of course the, the trouble is remembering to do that when I really need or want it. But I also, you know, I do that for anxiety as well. Um, when I'm really like really in it because, you know, like you, this is yeah anxious is how I came out you know, I'll just imagine like this great pool of golden light and I'll just dissolve myself into it. And there's a lot of peace there for me. There's a lot of quiet there for me. And it, you know, it can be really helpful to remember that we always have access to those feelings, those energies, no matter what is happening, you know, outside of us. Yeah. And that's like one of the things I've been working on is like when I feel those sort of anxious attachment triggers happening, I notice them and then I go do something nice for myself. That's so good. That's the lesson I've been learning lately too. 
Um, you know, when I get overwhelmed with something or upset or, you know, I'm having a lot of feelings or my, my old thought patterns are jumping in, you know, I used to try to like push myself through it or work through it or just sit there and beat myself up for some reason. Like that seemed like a good idea to me, but yeah, now it's like, okay, no, go, you know, go to the chiropractor, go take a walk, go sit in the sun for a few minutes, try to convince the cat to sit in my lap. I mean, they never do. The cats never sit in my lap, but you know, it's fun to try to catch them and pet them occasionally. But yeah, just doing something that makes you feel better. It's like, oh God, what a concept. And how is it that this concept is something that took us so long to learn? I think it's because like, most people in the world don't feel like it's okay to feel good or don't feel like it's okay to take the time to take care of themselves or the money to take care of themselves or the, they just don't feel like they deserve it maybe. Yeah. And I think there's something like, there's something in sort of the narrative around women and love. And there's like narratives around women and money as well. But like the idea of like the one true love. Oh God, I am having to unwind the fairy tale. Like, energy from my soul so hard right now. We grew up on happily ever after. Yeah. And it it doesn't exist. I mean, we can of course be happy. Yeah. And but it's like within any relationship there's so much growth and evolution and yeah. There's just no guarantee with anything. And like, we all want a guarantee. Of course we do. Especially those of us who are anxious, like a guarantee would be fucking fabulous. Give me a guarantee, please. But it's like, if you want a warranty, you have to buy a toaster. <laughs> I, I don't want to date a toaster. Like I don't want to wake <laughs> up in bed next to a toaster. So I guess we're back to like actually healing this stuff. Right. And I think if we got a warranty, if we got a guarantee, like, I'm like, would I get bored? Would I just be like, yeah. oh, all right. <laughs> I feel like I've been personally victimized by like 90s R&B songs that made me believe that love has to be like a battleground. <laughs> it has to be hard. If it's not hard, if it's not like dramatic, then it's not real. And I think that's also kind of baked into, unfortunately, our experience as women or, you know, non-binary other genders. Yeah. And I think popular culture, like I've been really struggling with this as I like lean into writing more like narrative fiction and romantic comedies, which I love, like there's such an escape for me, but a story's not interesting if there isn't, you know, there isn't conflict. Yeah. And so we've been trained by like the movies we watch and the books we read that are, you know, that are there to entertain, that are there to take us on a journey. We're like, okay, well, things have to be hard or there has to be some big climax or reveal and then everything's great it's you know that that narrative storytelling is wonderful but it kind of leads us astray sometimes yeah like I enjoy a good romance but I also like I cringe at the romances where it's like the rom-com where the the terrible dude turns out to be a good guy I'm like stop <laughs> stop making this movie no. <laughs> This is not good for anyone. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting to in a in a smaller sense kind of go on that journey with someone like when you are 
with someone and all of your traumas and triggers and places where you've been hurt or wounded start to come up because of course, intimate relationships are where those things are going to really, you know, I mean, in any relationship, but I think it often happens in intimate relationships when romantic relationships, because, you know, we spend so much time together, Mm -hmm. we get so close all of our stuff comes up. And then, you know, it's like, you have to keep making the decision. Is this a journey I want to be on? Yeah. Is this, you know, do I want to go on this ride with this person? Yeah. And it can be so easy to, you know, to write people off or to, or to stay too long, you know, whoever, you know, it, I feel like we don't know. I've experienced this myself, like when I was a bit younger and the idea of like, you know, if I stay long enough, like I can change the person or I can change who they are or force them to heal, which doesn't work, doesn't work. And I know a few people who are currently in that journey and I'm like, no, like in a horror movie, like girl, get out. Get out of the house. Yeah. It's haunted. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, and then there's always that question of, okay, so if the person is doing that healing, mm-hmm. if the person is kind of looking at their stuff and doing the work, um, I just paused for a really long time there because like, this is sort of a situation I'm in because we both like both me and my partner have so much to heal right now. And we're both so sensitive that we pick up on each other's, you know, we can actually absorb each other's energies and traumas. And so it can become like this trauma echo chamber. And, you know, so what is like, how do you be with someone on that healing journey and not try to mother them or, you know, like I didn't ever want to be his coach or his healer, but then sometimes I feel like, okay, I can't, like I can help with this. And it's just, it's this really interesting balancing act. And, you know, I think every, every situation is different and we're all having to just learn whatever it is we need to learn. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, what, what about that happily ever after I was promised? That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's kind of embarrassing that I realized up until maybe I turned like 40, I still believed in like, even though I'm like, you know, call myself a feminist, I'm, I know a lot of that sort of rom-com fairy tale is bullshit but I still like bought into it like when I look at like the kinds of things I was even saving on my Pinterest board like six years ago it's very different from how I feel now which just shows like how deeply it's like ingrained yeah yeah it's deeply rooted It's deeply rooted. And I think there's, you know, women can really equate, um, you know, money and relationships as well, because they were so intertwined for so many thousands of years um, for the, you know, the female collective. And so I think those, you know, and of course, 
money is just a neutral energy and, you know, love is its own energy and, you know, relationships, like what I've found really interesting in my relationship is how much my own mindset affects it and how much, you know, and this gets into kind of dangerous territory, but I've noticed that, you know, when I'm really just focusing on my healing journey and letting him do what he wants to do, he kind of starts to, it's like the the strongest energy in the room will be met. And so if you can be the strongest energy in the room, you know, if you're doing your healing and he's like, Hey, okay. All right. Things are working. Things are happening. And then they can get inspired to do it too. And that's, you know, it's a tricky thing to say because we don't ever want to. There's that long pause again. Obviously, this is something that I'm still, it's like very, like, this is very much a part of like my current journey right now. And so I don't have like the the pithy phrases for it yet, but it's just been a really, really fascinating to see how, you know, how we heal together and what that looks like. And, you know, having to let go of the idea that this needs to be forever. Like maybe it will be, you know, that would be great. But, you know, also it probably won't be because men usually die first. So, (laughs) you know, so either way, um, and it's just, you know, having to let go of that, like, okay, I wanted to get married. I wanted to do these things. I wanted to do those things. It's like, well, what do I really want? what would really make me happy? And what I'm realizing at 44 is that the things I thought were going to make me happy are not actually what I want. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. Even the idea of like traditional marriage. I, I want the, I realize I really want the party and I want the public declaration, but a lot of other (laughs) things about marriage, like in the most traditional sense, don't, appeal to me. And I think I've just, it's taken me until almost 43 to understand like what I really like is like, I enjoy having my freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So I like being in connection with someone. I like having a partner, but I also like Mm -hmm. having, um, this kind of sense of autonomy because I've noticed like in past relationships, what, felt really not good to me was like feeling like I lost myself in certain ways or I allowed myself to be lost or I didn't feel independent and yeah. Yeah. I'm really realizing that as well. Like I'm really having to reclaim myself in a lot of ways. Um, And that is, Oh, it's a really interesting road because then you sometimes realize like, well, I'm, I want to reclaim who I was, but I'm not who I was anymore. I have changed. I've evolved. But what I do know is that, okay, yes, freedom feels good. So how can, how can we create a relationship that feels Mm -hmm. free, but also, you know, has that partnership. And I think we just don't have a lot of examples of, healthy relationships. Yeah. Period. <laughs> Any, anywhere. Like I, I mean, I'm sure some of my friends have healthy relationships, but I don't see the ins and outs of yeah. those. You know, my parents didn't have a healthy relationship. I, I, 
I don't think we have many models of that. So we're all having to explore it for ourselves and figure it out for ourselves, which I think is great, actually. But I think maybe it can be harder than it needs to be. Like one of the best things I ever saw on Instagram was somebody talking about how the first two years of marriage were the hardest for them. And the first two years of living with my partner were really, really hard. And I would keep thinking, isn't this supposed to be the honeymoon? If it's this hard now, oh my God, you know? I mean, to be fair, I also moved in a few months before the pandemic started, but you know, still. (laughs) The fact that you're still both like alive and talking to each other is a good sign. Sometimes like when we get really despondent, I'll be like, we're still here. That is such a triumph. I remember like the first few days I moved in with my ex-partner in Toronto, I thought, you know, it was going to be great because I was already there all the time, like every weekend, like I was like, what's going to change? And then faced with like, we had two of everything. We had two couches two, and it became this sort of like battleground of like choosing whose couch to, you know, toss and whose couch wins. Yeah. And I remember just going because I wasn't like very good at expressing things or I didn't, I don't even know if I knew how to express what I was feeling, but we went skating that night at this like outdoor skating rink. And then I just like, it all bubbled up. I was like, I'm not getting rid of my couch. (laughs) And he's like, uh, okay. We eventually just ended up getting rid of both of them, buying one that we both liked, which was like the best, the best idea. But yeah, it was like, it was weird. We were fighting over things that weren't, what what it was really about was like, I felt like this sudden loss of my independence. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was moving into someone else's space. It wasn't our space, really. It was like his space. Yeah. I moved into my partner's house from like my beautiful little cottage in Mill Valley, um, which I loved. I had it set up perfectly. My aunt, um, who's a feng shui like practitioner, she came and like told me how to arrange the furniture. Like it just felt Mm -hmm. so good. It was perfect. And like, it was time to grow out. Like I had already grown out of it. It was time, but then moving into another space that you know, that he'd been living in for a while. Um, I really felt that. And there was, there was a lot of grief with that over letting go of like my home that I could do whatever I wanted in, that I could, you know, arrange how I wanted, that I could clean or not clean (laughs) however I wanted, that I could choose who came to like, who was in that space with me. And I don't have that same, um, you know, autonomy. And so I'm really noticing like where my control issues bubble up and where, you know, where it's not so much a control issue as it is just me needing to speak up and say like, okay, here's what I need. Like just being able to speak your needs with someone can be really hard. Yeah. Like it's taken me until my forties to get to the point. Like the other night I had a conversation with the person I'm like romantically involved with who is lovely. And I was like on the phone and I was like, Oh my God, I just had like one of the first, like a really adult productive conversation with you. Like, like I felt so accomplished after I was like, yes, like 42, I did it. Like, (laughs) yeah. 
oh, you're like, you're two years ahead of me. I think I was genuinely the age I am now before, you know, and it took both of us healing so much yeah. like trauma and triggers and like learning so much about ourselves and how we relate. But like every time we have a productive adult conversation, I just like, I really try to congratulate yeah. myself and congratulate us for, you know, for learning it the hard way, because again, we weren't taught and you know, there's just a lot going on right now for everyone yeah. that being able to navigate it is, you know, you got to really celebrate those wins. Yeah. There. I want to like 1980s, like high five myself, like with starburst coming out of the high five, like after <laughs> yes. you did it. Yeah. The Care Bear rainbows exploding yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So if I can figure it out, yeah, other people can too. So Oh, yeah. I feel like if we can do it, literally anyone can do it. So <laughs> do you feel like as your thoughts around money have changed, your thoughts around like romantic connection have changed? For sure. Yeah. I'm again, like I do notice like where my ideas of scarcity expand, like where not expand, like where my ideas of scarcity start to dissolve and like my, you know, things start to feel more expansive in my relationship. It starts to feel that way in money too. And then as it starts to feel that way in money, it does in my relationship as well. And it feels so much easier to hold things more lightly because I think, you know, with, with money and love as humans, we just like, they're so connected with our safety and our happiness that we really do want to cling. Um, and in a way that maybe we don't with something that means a little bit less to us, you know? And so, yeah, just like learning how to hold it all lightly, hold money lightly, hold my relationship lightly, hold, you know, anything that might occur as a, okay, this is just an experience I'm having in this moment. It's not going to last forever. I started doing this thing um, as per the recommendation of like the gala darling class I took, where every time I receive money, I write it down in my notes app, or you can use a notebook as well. Yeah. Or anytime I receive mm -hmm. something like unexpected like a gift in the mail or like a free coffee or like lunch from a friend and I have this like incredible like spreadsheet in my notes app of like all this sort of like unexpected like money so that when I and sometimes it's like five dollars like two dollars <laughs> but when you're programming your brain to notice it more and be grateful for it so I have this list and I realized the other day, I'm like, I should start one for love. So I have this other spreadsheet in my notes app where it's like, a friend gave me a compliment. I hugged, I hugged another friend, like different things. Someone said something nice about my writing. And, you know, I got a, a really lovely text from my special gentleman friend. Yeah. So it's kind of nice because now I'm building a list of that and I can look back and be like, oh no, there's lots of love going around. Exactly. I love that idea because, you know, I've heard that about money too. I actually have a spreadsheet for money that way too, but I, I haven't done it for love. And I really like that. I think I might have to start doing that because yeah, it just like, it's, you're retraining your brain to see 
the, you know, the amount that is coming in every day rather than just, you know, the, the places we can go when we feel like there's not quite enough. Yeah. I did that. I did that for writing a long time ago. Like I started a Google doc where I just would, you know, anytime, like back in the days of blogging, if someone left me a nice comment, I would just copy paste it to this document and it's still going like something like 10 years later and it's gotten really long. And I think I just have to be better about going back to look at it when I, you know, become plagued with self-doubt or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's all right there. It's all right there. That abundance of love and appreciation. And I think that's like, it's just really great to have that as a tool for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And just to remind yourself to notice it and appreciate it when it happens. Yeah. Cause I think it's, you know, I think the writing it down is amazing. Um, but I think also just like training yourself to notice it mm -hmm. because it can be easy to, you know, just focus on, you know, the problems like our, our human lizard brain is like, okay, what problem do I need to fix? And so sometimes those really lovely things just pass us by. Like I'm trying to train myself to just like look out the window and enjoy the sun, you know, because it was raining earlier. It's like, oh, right. There's, oh, there's sun. Isn't that nice? <laughs> you know, and then you go on with your day. Like in your work, you have a program that's all about joy. And I've noticed, I've noticed you noticing the joy in everyday life, like just through like your newsletter and Instagram and really helps, you know, because I think all of us, like with the pandemic, all of us just went through a lot. And I've had to retrain myself to find joy, to see joy, to, you know, to remember that joy is, it's always available to us in every moment, you know, and it, you know, it sometimes looks like, you know, human language is so tricky because, you know, the word joy might mean different things to different people. But for me, joy means like, oh, that little lift I get when I see, you know, the daffodils in the, in the vase next to Sally, which is next to my computer that I'm looking at right now. And just those little moments of like remembering that this world is really beautiful and has so much for us. And, you know, I just, one of my beliefs is that the world is always trying to surprise us with, you know, with joy, with love, with magic. And, you know, and most of the time my human self is like, bullshit, that's <laughs> not the way it is, which is why I have to like notice and appreciate and like really, yeah, retrain myself. So that's what, yeah, that's what Year of Joy was about. Just learning to appreciate or remembering, remembering what joy feels like. So, you know, when we're kids, we know like, you know, kids are happy and then they're screaming and then they're happy again. And it's like, yeah, we don't ever have to go down into the, you know, the bleak, dark, nothing for 30 days at a time, just, you know, yell and scream about it and kick the floor for a minute. And then we're good, you know, but we got taught not to throw tantrums. So yeah. Now I let myself throw tantrums. <laughs> As you should. Like, I think what I learned during the pandemic is that grief and joy can exist at the same time. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing to understand. Yeah. That you can be grieving something, but also still find these like moments of joy. And sometimes it feels a bit disconcerting. But I think if we give ourselves permission to feel them both at the same time, then that's 
really powerful. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. You can still be joyful and sad about like the war in the Ukraine or mourning the loss of love one of a loved one and still be find something beautiful that was something like i rem- i have a really powerful memory of that particular lesson um when i was in my 20s and i was going through like my first really big breakup yeah. with like my first partner and you know it was you know the living mm-hmm. together the the whole thing And I remember I was just like, I was waiting at the bus stop in San Francisco to go to work. And I was just like really in the grief Mm. and feeling it. And then I remember just looking up the sky and it was just this clear blazing blue. And it just really struck me that it's like, oh, that is so beautiful. And no matter what is going on in my life, you know, that sky is always there. And it was just like so reassuring and it just felt like this spark of joy in the midst of like all of that turmoil and, you know, and pain and drama and sadness. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, these two things can exist at the same time. Yeah. And it's such a powerful thing, you know, especially when I think sometimes it can be easy to think that like, oh, well if you're not all consumed by this grief or this sadness, it means maybe you didn't really love that person, but that's not true. You know? Yeah. So many things can exist at the same time. I'm really into the idea of uh, confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Like I've learned about it through like listening to true crime and like criminal justice podcasts, because at one point in my life, I actually wanted to be a lawyer, which people are like, what? Like, that's weird. I didn't see that for you, but I saw that for me at some point, mostly because I just love solving puzzles. But I realized mm. I don't need to be in like a corporate law firm or defending people in court to solve puzzles. Anyways, I digress. But uh, the idea of confirmation bias, it's looking at evidence in a case and thinking about it with a already with a hypothesis in mind that like, this person is guilty, so I'm only going to look at the evidence that points to potential guilt, or I'm only going to look at like this one evidence that points to this one particular person. So I'm like, oh, I could hack that for like my own personal life and be like, what if the hypothesis was like feeling grateful and feeling happy in the moment, even when hard stuff's going on, and looking for the more sort of things I see and I'm grateful for around me, the more it confirms the confirmation bias, but in like a positive way. That's where like my love list comes in and like my money gratitude list. And yeah. Yeah. And I feel like when, when we do that, when we really focus on the things we actually want to experience more of, it really does that recodes our brain to start seeing it, you know, because just as grief and joy can exist in the same moment, you know, so can, you know, wealth and scarcity. And so if it's all existing at the same time all around us, and we just have to choose what to focus on, then I think there's nothing more powerful than really like making the conscious choice to uh, pay attention to what we actually want. And, you know, and train ourselves with, you know, with a lot of gentleness, not to go down those old familiar scarcity pathways. Yeah, being gentle with yourself is uh, something 
that is much easier said than done. And something I've really had to actively train myself and I'm still not there. Oh God, me either. I just like, when you said that, like, I felt like this wave of sadness because I'm like, oh God, I know. the gentleness. It's, oh. I'm really not there, but yeah, it's, it's something that's in progress. Yeah. I think for so long, this world has been so brutal and, you know, I don't think, you know, it feels like gentleness wasn't really possible or a part of life mm-hmm. for so many people for so long that, um, we're just, we've inherited that and we're having to learn gentleness. We're having to learn, you know, and we also have been taught in our very, you know, capitalistic Western society to kind of move ourselves forward by being hard on ourselves to like inspire ourselves with, you know, with harshness. And that's how we keep ourselves moving. Um, Yeah. And we're having to learn how to not do that. Yeah. Like I find I can be more gentle other people than with myself. And that's starting to shift now, but it's something like I actively have to be aware of where I'm I'm like, oh, no, I, I can just be nice to myself. I, I can be a buddy to myself. Yeah, I can be my own best friend. <laughs> as cliche as that sounds, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I really like had a moment with that because, you know, the, the best friend trope is kind of a big one. And I feel like I've never really had a best friend. And that made me really sad for a really long time. And then, you know, while also being like, why is there a best? Why do we have to rank them? That seems rude. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, I could be, yeah, I could be my own best friend. And, you know, and I think part of the gentleness um, for myself too is like, letting myself embrace some of these tropes because like as a writer, I never wanted to be cliche. I never wanted to, you know, say the thing that everybody else is saying. And, and I'm like, okay, well, yes, that's still true. Maybe I can give myself a break and just like go into the gentle arms of the trope for a little while. Yeah. Switching more to like writing. I think tropes exist for a reason. Yeah. And I think one of the ways we kind of train ourselves to, you know, look for other things is to maybe create, you know, tropes that that work for us. Yeah. And help them, you know, that's how things integrate through the energy of the world is that kind of trope cliche space. We just want them to be the tropes and the cliches that are good for people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are helpful. Let's have some helpful cliches, please. Like Joe, the intern story is the, the defeated hero to underdog to transformation narrative. Yes, exactly. I love it. (laughs) It's now time for my favorite part of the show, a rapid fire game of fuck, Mary kill. And since we're both writers and we've been talking about tropes and relationships, I want to do a sex in the city themed one with bachelors of sex in the city. Fuck, Mary kill Aiden Big or Steve? Oh. Fuck, Mary kill, and why? Oh, this is going to be tricky for me. I know, right? Yeah. I know what I should do, but my own, like, bias, my own experience is, like, Mm. the big story. So many people don't like it for so many very, very valid reasons. Yes. 
And yet also like I personally, because my relationships tend to be hard and I know they don't need to be, but, (laughs) but for whatever reason, like that just seems to be a part of my experience. Like what I have found is that like looking back on my past relationships, I, any one of them could have worked if I had stuck it out, I believe. And so now I'm kind of like sticking it out through the hard things. And I don't want to say this is true for anyone else, but me, this is just something like Mm -hmm. I've noticed about my journey. Like any of my relationships could have worked and could have been great. And so I've been just really consciously like sticking with my current relationship and being, you know, really focusing on how I can heal through that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, as much as I would have loved like the Aiden story, had it actually worked out for Carrie, had that Mm -hmm. actually been, you know, her person, like that just doesn't seem to be the case for me. So like part of me feels like you can just send them to like man jail. Oh yeah. Send them to the man Island. Yeah. The deserted Island where all men go (laughs) so that we don't have to interact with them anymore. Okay, great. So I think for me, I would marry Steve. Like, he's just such like this loving, steady presence, I feel. There's something about that, especially like, and I'm thinking more of like the, oh God. See, now I'm just way overthinking this. Okay, this is a game, Amber. Play the game. Okay, so. Go with your gut. Marry Steve, fuck Aiden, kill Big. And now I just feel like I killed my partner, but. (laughs) But that's okay. Okay, so I could go two ways on this. I think Aiden and Steve would make more, they're the logical choice for husband material. Mm -hmm. But long term, I really value physical connection and someone who kind of challenges me a little bit. Mm. So as much as I think it would be the more logical choice to choose Steve or Aiden as husbands, I'm afraid I would get bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to go as much as I have issues with some of the aspects of their relationship. And it looked like he became a partner, a good partner in the end. I would yeah. probably marry big because he, spoiler, he dies. So I'd get his money and then I could choose a whole new love and have a whole <laughs> new adventure. So and he built like a whole like shoe closet for her. So I mean, I was just thinking about that shoe closet. Yeah. And those beautiful shoes. I would probably, I guess, maybe fuck Aiden. And I don't want to kill Steve. But I also don't want to listen to, I couldn't like stand to listen to his voice. Miranda. <laughs> 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 Then again, I would, ah, I don't know. See, this was my problem because like, I think had I gone on my instinct, I probably would have been like, okay, marry big, sex with Aiden, kill Steve. I really, Steve's just such a good guy in so many ways. Yeah. I didn't even want to send him to the island. I'm like, can I just, can we just like find him a lovely, lovely girlfriend who will want to stay with him forever? Can we do that instead? Can we just like remove him from the equation and like wish him good things? Yes. 
I feel like as far as like the fuck component, I feel like he and Aiden would be equally good lovers because they both seem pretty attentive. Yeah. Eve especially. Yeah. I feel like Steve would really go the extra mile. See, yeah. Because and that I like. Maybe I would I would fuck Steve and kill Aiden because he's just kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll go with that. Steve, he seems like he'd try. It seems like he'd really like pull out all the stops. And Aiden can go to the Man Island and the Man Island. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I can see Aiden on the Man Island, you know? Yeah. Fishing, wearing, I don't know, a furry loincloth or something. I don't know. I feel like that works for him. Yeah. I think we made the right choice. I think we did. I think we did. So if people want to connect with you online, uh, where can they find you on the internet or where would you like to be found? My website is a pretty safe place. My stuff is always there, amberadrian.com. Instagram is good. Also amberadrian. I'm really ignoring Facebook and Twitter right now. So not those so much. But yeah, Instagram and my website, I've been wanting to like restore my YouTube channel more, but that just seems like a very overwhelming proposition. So we'll see. Yeah, it's a whole other beast. They're all their own very particular beasts. And like, I have such a perfectionist, um, oh, I just want everything to look beautiful and to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then that can just stop me from doing anything at all. So I'm trying to just do things messily and, you know, and done. Um, My whole motto is like, fuck around and find out, like just to make more stuff and put it out there and not be as like, not hold on to that hose really tightly. Right. Like I realize sometimes how precious Mm. I'm being about things. Yeah. You know, and I just really, it's like, okay, Amber, you know, maybe you can just let it flow and trust that the people who want to find it will find it and don't worry about how it looks because literally nobody cares but me. Yeah. And yeah, you're helping people. You've helped me. So I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. yeah. And you, you are one of my all time favorites for sure. <laughs> oh. Well, the name of this podcast is we're never doing this again, but I know we're going to do this again because I always love talking to you. Thank you again for coming on. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. I'm Simone Paget, and thank you for tuning in to We're Never Doing This Again. You can find me online at Simone underscore Paget on both Twitter and Instagram, and follow the show at Never Again Pod on all platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Do you have a crazy dating story, a wild breakup tale, or something else you want to get off your chest? We would love to hear from you. Send an email to neveragainpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on the socials to be featured on the show.